Well, here we are in chapter two of the book of Nehemiah and um, in the series that we've called I'm Not Coming Down. And um, just a quick recap on where we got to last week in chapter one. The story is set in 445 BC and we have Nehemiah, who's a, a Jew, an exile from Jerusalem. Um, 140 years before, the city of Jerusalem was ransacked by the Babylonians and um, really razed to the ground. And... Um, and many of the Jews were killed um, and many were sent into exile and Nehemiah's descendants were those who were sent into exile and so now Nehemiah finds himself in Persia um, with a, I guess in one sense a, a privileged role, he's the cupbearer to the king but also from some historical accounts it appears quite a dangerous role in that part, part of their job it seems was that they would test the wine that was being given to the king before it was given to the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned so the kind of job where you took your life into your own hands probably daily um, and Nehemiah um, whilst in Persia is um, he he meets some of his fellow uh, fellow Jews who are visiting and he asks them as to the state of Jerusalem how the city is and he receives the news that the, the city is in a mess and it's broken down and we read last week his response that he, Nehemiah cares about the city of God, Jerusalem, um, the place where God's presence was to dwell, the place where God's glory was to shine out um, to all the other nations in order that they might find God and that he weeps and he mourns and he fasts and we were just really meditating on that whole idea and looking at how um, this, the city of God Jerusalem in the Old Testament is uh, these days in Christ has been uh, shown to be uh, more than just the earthly city of Jerusalem but that there is a, there's a heavenly Jerusalem there's a, there's a, there's a celestial city um, that at the end of time um, will descend from heaven to earth and this really is the, the city of God that we are to be caught up with and excited about in this age I'm just going to read to you the first four uh, verses of chapter 21 from Revelation Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away And the sea was no more And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem Coming down out of heaven from God Prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband And I heard a loud voice from the throne Saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man He will dwell with them and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God He will wipe away every tear from their eyes And death shall be no more Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, nor the, for the former things have passed away. Just beautiful scripture there. This city bride, this mysterious picture of a, a city that appears to be a bride. And really when you put the pieces together and you look at the various strands of New Testament teaching, it, it appears really that this, this city is um, in some way the church of God. In some way it's the, it's, the, it's the dwelling place of God, the people of God. And so really I think, I feel real clarity and conviction that the, the, the best and most fruitful and most accurate way to understand the story of Nehemiah who, who sets out to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls the best way to understand that is as a, a, a prefiguring of, of the Lord Jesus and his mission um, part of which is to build the church, build his church with the promise that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it and, um, and so we're just looking through this whole series at uh, the, the precious uh, truth in the Bible 
that Jesus loves his church. The world may mock. The, indeed, the world may mock. But as we are told uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, while people may look on uh, unimpressed, nevertheless, the truth is this, that Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5.25, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And um, that Jesus laid down his life for the church, that Jesus poured out his life and his blood for the church, that Jesus ransomed um, a people for himself through the shedding of his blood at the cross and through through the breaking of his body, that we might become whole and complete in him. It's a, it's a beautiful, a wonderful picture that even though to the naked eye, very often the church doesn't look that impress, impressive, that actually the promise is, is that through Jesus' sacrifice, the church indeed will be beautified and every spot and stain and wrinkle will be ironed out and uh, cleansed out and, and she will be beautiful. And we read in Revelation, you know, there's that moment where um, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb because the bride has made herself ready. And, we are in faith for this, that, that believers will grow into Christ's likeness um, uh, as precious stones in the, in the sight of God, that we will be built together into this beautiful, wonderful city bride and that there will be a day where the whole thing is completed, where there's that um, trumpet blast and where those who are dead in Christ will rise to meet with him in the air and then those of us that will are left to love Jesus will meet him and, and then together there will be that, I guess that descending down is the city of God complete pulsating with the life of God and so where we're up to in the story now is that Nehemiah has heard the news of Jerusalem and its ruins and he sets he, he well we'll read on from chapter 2 of the book of Nehemiah I'll just turn into that now uh, verse 1 in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was before him I took up the wine and gave it to the king now I had not been sad in his presence and the king said to me why is your face sad seeing you're not sick this is nothing but sadness of heart Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river. They may let me pass through until I come to Judah. A letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite's servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. I, then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. 
Then I went on to the fountain gate to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the, by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. called this message three must-haves that as Jesus goes about building his church and catching us up in that mission there are three things of vital importance and the first one we see in verse 8 is uh, this request Nehemiah makes to the king that there be a letter to the keeper of the king's forest that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And then he goes on to say, and the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. There was the favour of God on Nehemiah in his request, but the th first thing he asked for is resources. He needs resources to get the job done. He's not so uh, spiritual, if you like, that he assumes that if he can just get there, suddenly things will appear. He recognises that there are, there's a practical element to this uh, incredibly spiritual matter of rebuilding the city of God, rebuilding the walls of the city. But it's vital that you notice how Nehemiah views things. He says, the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. There's favour on Nehemiah. As a result, he understands God. This is the favour of God. It's God. God is with me. This is God demonstrating, God expressing that I'm about his work through the favour that is coming. Very often there are these initial blessings and these provisions that demonstrate God's favour. Even if the road ahead isn't going to be easy necessarily, there are often these initial uh, markers, if you like, or open doors, or however you want to describe it, where tokens of grace, where you think, actually, this is the favour of God. God is with us. I remember um, watching Luke as he pioneered the, the food bank, looking to get that thing up and running, and there was really an initial period of time, a few weeks, where it was just very, very hard. It seemed like every door was shut. No one was really interested. No one wanted to know. No one wanted to be involved. Um, really and um, it, it was a surprising time and a time where really Luke had to just dig in and keep going and then we just prayed about it at the prayer meeting and just sought God and I know he himself was seeking God and, and then suddenly this moment came with this one phone call with a, a woman who kind of is the, she's like the, um, the family uh, the family worker in I think six or seven schools in the local area and she had Luke in and even got Nicola in and they did a, rep, uh, a presentation of the food bank and the CAP centre. And it was just such favour, such an ease in the relationship there. And really this woman has just opened up many local schools to us. And, and it's moments like that where you just know it's, it's, this, is, this is God's good hand. There's a coming together of circumstances and influential or resourceful people. But it's God demonstrating that he is with us in this. And now... And so this issue of resources is an important one to talk about and an important one to um, consider together. 
because I know that particularly in London, the two main resources, time and money, are both very, very squeezed. We know what London life is like, once you've, particularly with money, once you've paid your rent and then you cancel tax, you know, and then you manage to maybe afford a little bit of pasta. You know, you, there's not much left, and then whatever is left, oh man, the church want it. You know, what, what, what to do? What do, we, what do we do with this uh, situation? Well, let me just say this really importantly. Um, instead of being hassled by the subject of money and financial pressure, instead of doing that and just making knee-jerk decisions um, one way or another, take some time. Take some time with your Bible open regarding money, regarding time. Just be before God. Um, you see, Nehemiah itemized before the king what he needed. Jesus knows exactly what he needs to build his church in this city. He knows what he needs. And he will speak to you and he will stir you and he will show you your part and he will speak to you about money and he will give you faith to take steps. It's, it's so important that, 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 that the church, fundamentally, what is the church? Well, it should be the community of people that respond to the voice of God, that respond to that still, small voice, that don't have hard hearts and close their ears, but, you know, actually are responsive to him and wait upon him and make decisions coming out of conviction. The church is not to be an environment of, of pressure and performance. Um, it, this is, the whole thing should be just worked out in faith before God. It's really important that we, that we do that and that you do that. And so regarding your time and your money, I just want to say, be before God. Open your Bible and catch God's vision and God's heart for the church and everything else will really flow out of that. We'll talk about vision in a moment, but the rest flows out of that. But catch the things in your heart and get faith from God. And it's so important that you grow to maturity in this and you don't just either become legalistic and just follow an external requirement or any other negative way of going about it. Get faith from God. Um, just to say, you know, on this front, in terms of, well, what is it, you know, if some of you may be listening, thinking, what does it mean to really be a part of the church here? Well, belonging to Revelation Church is very, very simple, really. We simply ask people to serve in a team, to be committed to serving in a team on a Sunday. To make Sunday happen, we don't have our own building. It's, we have to create a whole environment every week and then uncreate it into the service. It's a lot of work. It takes about 40 people a week. We just need people to serve on a team. Normally, you'll be on one in three, one in four. And to do that cheerfully, joyfully, punctually, um, faithfully, worshipfully. Um, uh, secondly, to be committed to a gospel community. Um, that, that's the way we kind of work out our mission, if you like, from sort of Sunday to Sunday. Um, in between our gathering to celebrate, how, you know, how does church life work during the week? Well, lots of spontaneous stuff happens, but one, one of the bricks in the bucket, if you like, is gospel communities at the moment. We have gospel communities reaching out to international students, reaching out to reaching out uh, with a focus on uh, mental health and physical healing. We have a food bank gospel community that um, opens opens the doors uh, Saturday 11 till 1 to, to feed the hungry. We have three gospel communities based on local estates reaching those. We have a gospel community reaching to the uh, Holloway and Pentonville prison. We have gospel community reaching to, uh, refugees and asylum seekers and then Finally, one a gathering of, of artists looking to um, express the kingdom of Jesus through artistic gifts and talents. Um, and so we say, you know, join a gospel community and then, and then finally to give, to be committed to giving. Um, and in a way that is 
um, godly, faith-filled, responsible, joyful. Um, that is really functionally what it looks like to be a part of um, to be a part of Revelation Church. So resources are important. They're a must-have. Jesus is looking for us to offer ourselves willingly, happily, joyfully for his purposes. Um, and um, we have to be responsive to him in that. The second thing is guts. Um, it's, not, it's not long before some opposition starts. They arrive back at Nehemiah and those who are with him arrive back in Jerusalem. And it's not long before there are some, some who are displeased that someone's here to seek for the uh, welfare of the people of Israel. And there are things like jeering. We hear this word jeering. It's a horrible word. It, um, uh, people jeer when uh, the whole idea behind it is to, is, to, is to make the person feel that what they're doing is really not up to much or who they are is really not very significant. And the bottom line is this, is that actually a lot of the time to the, to the, to the outside, uh, outside of looking in, the church isn't very impressive. Um, you know, but it's always been like that. If you look at Jesus' 12 disciples, they weren't an impressive bunch, naturally. We know that they, uh, they, they, were, they made lots of mistakes and um, frequently really had no idea about Jesus or the calling. And, you know, that's just, church life is a bit like that at times. It's, uh, um, you know... There is this element where naturally we don't always look that impressive. But I will, I will, you know, I will say this: that we are doing what we are doing on behalf of the King, and um, by His grace, He will beautify it and He will make it more than it ever could be. And as we bring our little bread and fish and put them in the hands of Jesus, He will multiply them to be able to feed the souls and even the bodies of many, many people. We need to be in faith. For that we've been sent by the, the King of Heaven, the King of Creation, the King of Kings has sent us. We're to have a gutsy courage in that and not to not to be intimidated by by jeering. And I love this quote here in verse twenty The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will rise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You know, if you want to be a part of this, then you need to transfer your allegiance that's what Nehemiah is saying you, you, can't, you can't speak into what we're doing you've got nothing to say you've got nothing to say to us why because you're not you're not part of the people of God you're, you're coming from a completely different angle you don't get it you don't understand the heart of what we're doing There's the, the first step is a transfer of allegiance to bow the knee before the great king of all creation that we are serving and then maybe you'll start to get it then maybe you'll have something to say because you'll understand what the thing is at its heart it's a supernatural thing this Acts this mission of Christ to build his church so that the church might um, gloriously shine out the, the glory and the wonder of God to a watching world. It's, you can't, that can't be understood naturally. The things of the Spirit are impossible to understand by those who don't have the Spirit. There's a, there's a transfer of allegiance that must come first. It's really important that we, that we see that. It's not up to the world to decide what the church does or doesn't look like. God has shown us what the church should look like in his word. Uh, and it's a supernatural thing, and it should be marked by inexplicable happenings, inexplicable growth, inexplicable breakthrough, inexplicable um, activity by its members, inexplicable character and lifestyle, inexplicable people, um, which would make people say, surely God is among them. There's a gutsiness that we need to have on our part where we are utterly confident in God and impossible to intimidate. Um, and then finally, there's vision. There's this, there's this vision, it's, quite, it's really quite humorous, really. Where I love verse 16, where we're told that uh, Nehemiah says, The officials didn't know where I'd gone or what I was doing. 
And I hadn't yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. I hadn't yet. So he's, he's got this plan. He's got this idea. And he said, I'm going to rebuild the walls. And I'm going to check it out. I'm going to get it all, get the blueprint, clear, get clear in my mind what I'm going to do. But you know what? Those who were going to do the work, they didn't even know. They didn't even know where I'd gone or what I was doing. And you think, man, it, it's kind of humorous. But what's the parallel here? The parallel here is this, is that Jesus has the blueprint for this whole project in his heart. He knows the end game. He knows what it's going to look like. He, and there are things in the Bible that have been revealed, key, key elements to the blueprint. I'll name a few. One thing that we call is one new man in Christ. The whole idea that through the cross, Jesus, Jesus hasn't just broken down the walls between God and man, but he's broken down the walls between man and man. And everything that would normally separate man from man, whether it's gender, whether it's race, or whether it's... Um, social standing, whatever it might be, all of those barriers Jesus has dealt with in his body has broken them down to the incredible gospel that he might bring together what the Bible calls one new man in Christ. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, old, young, black, white, rich, poor, they all come together in the church and as a result of coming together, they demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God that even demonic powers looking on and saying, look at the wisdom of God to be able to bring together those people. They would be in one heart. They would be fully together, fully united. This is incredible. One new man in Christ. Or, or another part of the blueprint, the priesthood of all believers. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? Um, that actually you don't have to come to God through another mortal. There's not one or two special people in each church that you have to come to God through. But that there is one great high priest. There's one priest, one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. One who perfectly represents God uh, to us. And one who perfectly represents us to God. One who commends mankind to God again through his perfect Humanity, the Lord Jesus Christ, that through him, through Jesus, we all have access to God. Wow, this is the church. Or one body, many parts, another part of the blueprint over there. That there is one body, but we're many parts gifted in different ways. That God has graced us with different things to bring. That we have different, so for some of us, you know, we find administration easy and enjoyable um, when it's sort of a tiny bit of it will kill another person but the, per but the person who gets killed by the administration is able to suddenly come up with something incredibly creative that maybe the administrative person would never have thought of and there's just this coming together in the body of Christ for the building up for the building up for the building up no one's to look at someone else and say I don't need you or no one's to look at someone else and say you don't need me but that we all find our place in the body of Christ it's beautiful one body one body in many parts. That we're a sent people, another part of the blueprint, that we're not a static people, but a sent people to the ends of the earth. That, we've, that we live with that commission over our lives. And even if we actually stay in the town that we were born and in and grew up in for the whole of our lives, we're carrying the nations in our hearts, we're praying for the nations, we're supporting um, cross-cultural mission and church planting, etc., etc. That, that we're a community where the Spirit's presence motivates us internally. We're not a community of external laws and rules. Where we're all actually just looking over our shoulder, trying to behave, because what if the pastor's looking? But that's all been blown out of the water. And instead, we allow this beautiful new covenant where the laws of God are written on our hearts to motivate us from the inside, where we let the Holy Spirit renew our motivation. So we're not a bunch of hypocrites, but we're a bunch of people who, when no one's looking, are living for the glory of Christ. I mean, it just goes on, it goes on, it goes on. It's a beautiful thing. 
It's a beautiful thing. But the kind of the funny thing about it is that, you know, Jesus has had all of this in his heart from day one. And none of us are going to be involved in it with him doing the work. None of us knew anything about it. I mean, I didn't come to Christ because of the priesthood of all believers. I wouldn't have known what that meant. You know, I didn't come to Jesus because of one new man in Christ. I came to Jesus because in a, in, in, in a moment of his grace and his mercy, he just showed me that I needed him and, um, and enabled me to, to come to him. I, just, I came to him for forgiveness. I came to him for a new start. It was a really very simple, straightforward thing. You know, I guess there was probably, to be honest, a part of me which didn't quite know why I'd come to him. <laughs> if I'm honest, I just knew that there was, it was a, a meaningful moment, a transaction where I gave him my life. I think, wow, I don't know how that happened. It was just his grace. I didn't know what I was going to be getting involved with. I didn't know that. I didn't know I'd be getting involved in some amazing mission to see, um, to see this city bride come to perfection and maturity. He's, but he's had it all in his heart from day one he draws us into it it's a beautiful thing he draws us in and he and um and there's this vision this is the church and he 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 gathers and when we get it oh man when we get it it's a beautiful beautiful thing and uh and so this is a couple of things just to end with and just to draw your attention to really first thing is that nehemiah's plan is to build the wall he's going to rebuild the wall that's what he's there to do and the walls in those days was an interesting thing because when you had a city and, and its wall it was massively important because the wall indicated what was what was in the city and what was outside of the city. It was the parameters. It was about safety and defence. It was about we've got to keep the enemies out, um, and we've got to we've got to be able to clearly mark out this is this is the city and this isn't the city. And um, so it's just helpful to stop and pause for a moment and say, well, what is what is the church? You know, I've obviously mentioned some things, but. If you're going to really boil it down and say, well, how do you how do you how do you be how, when you transfer allegiance and you become a citizen of this city, you come to Christ, what does that involve? Well, number one, it involves faith. It involves simply putting your trust in Christ, trusting that he has, um, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, um, through these, um, this amazing, incredible gospel, this, this man, this eternal man, this man who was, who was pre-existent, who lived uh, eternally as God the Son and Spirit, who became man and um, went through all that he went through for us and willingly embraced suffering and persecution and temptation that he might that he might redeem mankind that he might bring us back out in his own body through his own sufferings and his own overcoming of sin and death that actually that it's faith and trust in Jesus it's not faith and trust in me trying to do better it's not faith and trust in me turning over a new leaf it's, I'm just fully trusted in Jesus it's he is enough for me God has made this Jesus everything I lacked and he's made this Jesus everything I lacked for me not so I can just now it's, it's an example and I've got to try and copy that that happens later uh, that's not where it starts it starts with all that Jesus is is gifted to me his perfect righteousness is gifted to me um, he's, he's, he's he, the eternal life that he himself has one, if you like, through his obedience, is gifted to me. It's all gifted to me through Jesus. I have it all in him. I have it all in him. It's faith in Christ. And then there's just this repentance, this change of mind, this turning away from, it's all about me, or it's all about my girlfriend, or it's all about this famous person, or it's all about going fishing, or it's anything else that's created. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, turning away from that towards no, it's all about him. It's about the creator. My soul can only be satisfied in him. I was not just made by him, but for him. It's a change of mind. I submit to him. I bow the knee gladly. I no longer, I no longer fight for autonomy. I, my delight now is to be submitted to him. 
and then uh, and baptism. This is key. It's vital. It's the initiation. Read the Bible. Read through the Book of Acts. Just I don't want to don't want to get into controversial, complicated, drawn out discussions. Please just read the Bible. Read the Book of Acts. Read the Epistles. Read the, the Gospels. That even Jesus Himself, who didn't need to be baptized, would be baptized in order to identify with us and to give us an example of, of what to do. I mean, man, there it is. What, what more do we need? Just uh, baptism is the initiation into the Christian into the Christian faith. Into the it, it is. It's um, we mustn't sideline it. We mustn't uh, present it or see it as an additional extra. When I become a Christian, and then maybe I'll get baptized. No, you, you can't divorce the two biblically. And biblically, real strong phrases are used like baptism saves you and the rest of it. Now, I, you know, I, when we use those phrases, it, it can create alarm bells in people's minds, and I understand why. Um, but I'm, I'm wanting to use that to just labour the point, really, that it's central, it's primary, it's not an optional extra. And, um, and we've got to get the walls right. We've got to get the walls right, say this is where God's, this is what God has said is the city, this is what is involved. We've got to, okay, I'm going to be in the city, okay, there's the walls, okay, come, come in, okay, faith, repentance, baptism. There you go. Um, Baptism is not a work that you do to get saved. It's an expression of your faith and your repentance. You're saying, I've died with Christ. You're saying, I've been buried with him. You're saying, I've been raised into newness of life as you come out of the water. It's not an extra thing. It's an expression of faith and repentance. And then I'm going to end with verse 18. I love this. Um, what the people of God say. Um, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. Church, let's rise up and build. Let's strengthen our hands for the good work. We are about a great work. Jesus is creating a community. Jesus is creating a, a city within this city um, that will shine out with light, that will, that will reach out and serve and love and work alongside Jesus in saving and rescuing people and introducing them to the Saviour. Let us strengthen our hands for this great work. If you're listening to this sermon, to this message, and you're you're not, you don't know, you don't know um, the Lord Jesus. You you know you 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 you're not in the city in that sense. You know, but you're looking, you're thinking, I want this. You can have this. Jesus said He would turn away no one who comes to Him. He would turn away no one. And so, right where you are, even now, I'd say to you, tell Jesus that you trust Him. Tell Jesus that you believe Him. Tell Jesus that you've had a change of mind. You want to follow Him. Just tell Him. Ask him to come and indwell you by his Holy Spirit. Ask him to come and make you brand new. Confess your sins. Tell him everything that comes to mind where you just know you're feeling guilty and you know that it's been wrong. Just confess. Pour it out. Pour out your heart to him. And let him meet you there and assure you of forgiveness and assure you of mercy and assure you of new life. Um, Jesus loves you. Bottom line. Jesus loves you. There's no explanation for it, but it's true and he's demonstrated it once and for all by pouring out his life for you. When he was crucified. But hallelujah. He lives. He rose from the dead. He lives today. And he's changing lives. Amen.